I think it's a good sign when the most challenging part of going in to get your heart scanned is removing your nipple rings. There was actually a moment while I was patting the floor looking for the tiny little ball that connected both sides of my nipple rings. And that was the worst of it. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Reverend Campbell, and I'm being joined by my very good friend, Colin. How are you, man? Greetings. Not too bad, buddy. Not too bad. I'm really glad we could actually do this, because <laughs> we yeah. tried before and it didn't quite work out. Yeah, dodgy broadband and time differences and <laughs> all that good, fun stuff. Yeah. Well, we've got some good stuff planned for today. Uh, let me give a quick shout out to everyone who joined us in chat. I know it's an early episode of Nine Cents. But what better way to start your day than with a hefty cup of nonsense, right? <laughs> All right, so William, thanks for joining us, man. Vasuri, how you doing? Jeff, my man. I wanted to chat with you more in last night's episode, but trying to manage the whole show and stuff, I just couldn't I couldn't break away from the conversation. Valeria, how are you, my dear? Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, dog, how you doing? Let's see. Silly swastika. Good to see you, man. And uh, looks like this is the core the core group of people that we usually have anyone else who joins us after the fact thank you so much for joining if you have any questions or comments to the course of this conversation we're gonna be having a few of them put it up there but after yesterday's episode how it was really sort of set up really kind of heavy and politically oriented i just wanted an episode of nine cents that was just fun just entertaining and so we're gonna be talking about some future planning in the devil's advocate we've got focusing on Planning for your future. Um, exactly what I just said in the opposite way. Uh, in the Infernal Informant, I've got two articles. The first one is Experts Explain, If There's Life on Venus, How Could It Have Gotten There? And the second one is Here Are Tesla's Biggest Announcements from Battery Day. And we're going to close it out with an in-memoriam. And this is going to be from Ronald Ray Cobb. If you're not familiar with who he is, you're about to get familiar. And uh, for those of us who love sci-fi and fantasy... He is a, a real instrumental member of the creative force behind some of our favorite films. And we'll get into that here in just a second. But, um, Dark let's... stories, cheese yeah. I actually haven't even given the top <laughs> of the show. Let me, let me do this. <laughs> uh, it is September 27th. <laughs> and as of today, we have 33,105,611 worldwide cases of COVID-19 with 999,455 deaths. And we got a great show for you this week. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's really happy. Yeah. Let's start off on a high <laughs> note with chaos and death, uh, pandemic and death. But, I mean, International Blasphemy Rights Day is coming up on uh, Wednesday, September 30th. So if you want to blaspheme internationally, <laughs> now's your chance. I don't know. Uh, a couple years back, maybe a little more than a couple, the CUS had um, a sort of event 
are based around Blasphemy Rights Day. I think those posts are still up. So if you want to do a little bit of a time capsule to experience those posts, just search Blasphemy Rights Day on uh, churchofsatan.com and you can see all of the posts that were put up there for that. It was a lot of fun. And um, did you ever uh, submit to those? May, no. Yeah, okay. I did a couple of them, which is pretty fun. There was one, I think it was my most memorable, where I acted like I was Christ on the cross, and I was like calling out to God to get me off. And so he sent like my wife to literally like give me a head. And I was like, that's not what I meant by getting me off. <laughs> You're so literal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fucking God. You goddamn literal. No sense of humors. Um, it was fun. All right. So for those of you who are doing the book club with us, it's going to start at 2 p.m. So in two hours, um, as right now, <laughs> in two hours, we're going to be doing it. Uh, it's based off Night Shift by Stephen King, and we're going to be talking about the first two stories. And one of them, uh, I don't want to get into it yet because I got stuff to talk about. <laughs> yeah, this this, uh, this thing will just sort of... <laughs> we'll just turn into the book club right now. In two hours, there will be something going... Yeah, I have nothing to yeah. talk about anymore. <laughs> Um, okay, so you have had a lot of time recently to do a lot of writing. Did you want to share one of your poems with us? Um, has your audience not suffered enough? <laughs> Let's give them a little pain before we give them a little pleasure. Right, okay. Um, right, there's one of them we're not going to do because it's a bit naughty, but... Okay, let's do this one. Uh, entitled, My Intolerance is Intolerant. Okay. Gossip, rumours and tall tales. I have no time for such things. The latest fizz on somebody's business. Only boredom and headache it brings. Why bother me with the doings of strangers? If they're not in my circle, I don't care. My intolerance is intolerant. My interest in their activity is rare. The bling, the brands, the latest fashions. They drive me mad with a passion. When you create your fads and trends, why they excite you, I cannot comprehend. I were what I were for me, dripping and dangling myself in your pointlessness holds no truck. My intolerance is intolerant. Do your thing. Have fun with it. Good luck. The songsters, the shows and celebrities, these people don't interest me a bit. The lifestyles of the rich and the famous. Personally, I think it's a pile of shit. Continue to follow the stars and starlets, especially if it brings your life some glee. My intolerance, though, is intolerant. My tastes are more discerning, you see. Hold on to your Bible, your Quran, or Torah. Clutch tightly to your prayer beats. Be proud. Go to your churches, your temples, and group huddles. Say your chants, clap a plenty, and sing loud. Fear me, though, for I am a Satanist. From the brightness of my flame you will shy. My intolerance is really intolerant. For I am an atheist. What I worship is I. Yeah. I like that. That's really nice. It's, it's nice when I can actually have a coherent thought, because sometimes when I do a lot of this stuff, I kind of I start off one direction, and yeah. then about three words in, my mind wanders, and... <laughs> When I get to the end, I'm like, what the hell was that? <laughs> but it's cathartic. I don't know. I find poetry to be really cathartic. It's it's just, you've got something bugging about in there. Just get it out. Yeah. And 
do you know what? If nobody else listens to it or whatever, it doesn't matter. You've, you've turned negative emotions, frustrations, or thoughts into something tangible. Yeah. Now, I'd encourage anybody to have, do it, have a go. I think that's that's probably the best way that I know of just like meditating because I, I create so much sort of public facing content that whenever I want to really just sort of put myself in my own head, it's, it's writing. And so I haven't put out any essays or anything like that in a very long time, simply because that's kind of like me space, you know, that that's like my own little zone where I can just not worry about the front facing image, not worrying about how it's going to be received or how I can format it to make it entertaining. It's just, this is my mind and I'm just going to let it go. So it's yeah. for you. And we're going to talk about it in the next segment, but you have to do it for you first. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter about anybody else. If you do something and it makes your life that little bit better, yeah. if it gives you a you know, spark or sense of achieving something, especially if you're feeling down, fucking do it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, I feel like I repeat myself a lot of times or get bent up with frustration when you try to explain to somebody that can't be explained to you. Mm -hmm. this, this wallowing self-pity and, I don't know, misery culture is just, it's draining you. Just, it's not going to do you good in the end. It's poisonous, yeah. It really is. Um, well, I mean, since we're leaning into it, let's just dive right into uh, The Devil's Advocate really quick with this bumper. love that scene from uh, <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut, yeah. Like right afterward, they stand up and disrobe. It's like the best. <laughs> All right, let me throw up this. That was an odd move. I haven't seen that in years. Yeah. yeah it's one of those that um, it, uh, I think it holds up. I, it's like a holiday film I watch every year. I just, I absolutely love it. I, I don't even think of it as a Christmas show, even though it's set around the holidays, which is kind of weird. But, um, okay, so this segment is uh, going to be talking about planning for the future. You know, one thing that I consistently try to do with this uh, podcast is, in The Devil's Advocate, talk about something that's very germane to Satanism or Satanists. And part of what it means to be a Satanist is to have and achieve and improve who you are, um, having goals and achieving goals in your life so that you can have real-world accomplishment. It's all about individualism. It's all about real-world accomplishment. You wouldn't know that by meeting many Satanists, but it actually yeah. is. And so... I don't know. I've, I've been writing a few thoughts on this. Uh, yeah. There's like a religion within a religion. This whole online cultural miasma of crap mm -hmm. has, in my opinion, infested Satanism. Yeah. And people, like, how can you be part of a carnal religion and live your life digitally? <laughs> Carnally digitally? It, yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> we haven't developed the plug-in yet to make it, you know what I mean? This yeah, you're is an ASA at its worst. You know, these stupid things 
aren't yeah. your life. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's this stuff right here, what actually matters. And there's too many people don't get it. Mm -hmm. And they live for little clicks on a button. Yeah. And then when they're faced with actually dealing with the real world, they can't cope. Yeah. And will actually actively fight against you. And I've had personal experience of this. It's fucking shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What matters is out in the real world, actually experiencing life. Mm -hmm. And the whole point of this is to make it better for yourself, the best you can make it. Yeah. And it's not cookie cutter. Not everybody wants to be a CEO because to me, I, I'd be the worst thing I can imagine being one of those. Totally those people are robots. Yeah. I mean, they're dead from the neck up. They've no solar passion. And I think that's part of the culture, especially these corporations now trying to be moral guidelines. Mm -hmm. The people that rule them don't actually experience life. They're, they've cut themselves off for it because they're just dedicated to whatever brand. And most of them don't even have a brand because it's shift between all these companies. So they don't actually have something they're personally right. invested in. It's but I mean, at the same time, I can't really fault someone who sees that as their version of success. Like, I don't see that. But no, if that's how you live your life and, you know, your image of personal achievement is to have a higher salary and where you work is less important as long as you can climb that ladder it seems hollow to me but if that's your thing more power to you as long as you're doing it for a sense of self-satisfaction and achievement and self-worth and not because you feel like you have to yeah well, that's one side of the coin you know that side is the big antithesis to what i stand for on the mm -hmm. other side there's people that live in these communes or homeless mm -hmm. and it's a community and they're happily scraped by day to day yeah getting a few coins in their hand going by and drink their drugs and that's they're actually happy in that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And on the other side of the coin, that's completely not to me as well, because I like my own comforts and I like to have purpose in life and I like to have stability. So on the other side, that is completely not me either. Yeah. So they're just two extremes of the whole the whole coin, mm -hmm. which don't interest me personally. So it's finding your bit, your little bit, and everyone, you're allowed to have your own individual quirks but it's up to you to find them. Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's talk about planning for your future here because again, one size doesn't fit all. You're going to have to really be able to internalize and reflect on who you are in order to plan for your future effectively. But there are some general guidelines that can be applied by literally anyone in order to realize those futures, uh, those is-to-bes that you want to realize. Um, and so I think you know one of the first points uh, it's it's never too young to start planning your future, and I know you know if you if you're young enough to just get out of high school or you're going into the 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 working world for the first time after college or after service or something, it can be intimidating, and you don't necessarily think in your twenties, early twenties, that you know what you want, you know that you have any solid foundation of an idea of what you want in your future. All you know is you are now independent and you want to enjoy that. But that's when it's the most important to start planning for your future, to start imagining what excites you, what interests you, what motivates you, and, and where you're going to end up being. Because ultimately, if you want to retire, for example, if, if, if you like the idea of having a nest egg financially, that's when you need to start planning it. All right. Like when you're young, that that is when you should start doing it. 
Um, and so that's why it's so important to start imagining where you want to be when you're younger and start formulating those ideas in your head. And, and it's really important as, a, as a, a young man or woman who is just getting out on their own for the first time to understand Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Because this, for me at least, helped really frame steps and goals to be achieving uh, in order to find independence and find my own personal version of accomplishment and happiness within my life. And so I'm going to run through these really quick. I'm not really going to dig into them very much, but just so everyone is on the same page. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is, is basically like a five-tiered system for what it means to be self-actualized, what it means to be the best version of yourself. And you have to build on these foundations in order to become self-actualized. Uh, so ultimately, you have to have uh, physiological needs met. You have to be able to eat. You need shelter. Uh, and the next layer is going to be safety. Uh, you cannot pursue your own goals if you do not feel secure and safe. Uh, you, then there's a sense of loving and belonging. I think this is very important that a lot of people try to shrug off either because of machismo or because they don't think it's a cool idea. But the truth is, loving and belonging is not necessarily an external connection. It also means yourself. You have to be able to love who you are as an individual. You have to feel like you belong in your own skin. And this is really important for people who identify differently than they outwardly appear. So, you know, you're, you're trans individuals, for example. Um, but also being able to connect with other human beings, whether you like it or not, whether you're a, a misanthrope or not. Human beings are social creatures. We are animals and we thrive when connected with other animals. And so it's important to find that loving and belonging, if not in other humans, then with other creatures. And there is an entire planet full of them. So congratulations, you're on it. <laughs> you can find whatever sense of loving and belonging fits you individually, whether it's a pet or another human. Um, and then esteem. You have to feel that esteem, again, internal and external. So in your career goals, it's important to be able to feel like you've had accomplishment and that your peers in that industry recognize your accomplishment, but more importantly, that you recognize what you've actually done and you feel good about what you're doing. That's one that I struggle with personally. And then after all of those foundations are built up, then you can actually get to that level of self-actualization where you know in a totality sense who you are and where you're going. You feel comfortable in your skin and you can move about and do anything that you put your mind to within limits. Um, and that's ultimately what we're trying to aim for as Satanists, right? Self-actualization. And so part of those steps is, uh, you know, making a list of things that you want to accomplish. And again, a lot of people find some of these ideas to be trite, um, you know, a little sort of dreamy-ish. But the only way that you can actually achieve unrealistic goals is by envisioning them first. And so what may seem unrealistic to you in your current state is not actually unrealistic at all if you just break out of the mental funk that you may be finding yourself in. So for example, right out of high school, I was living in a drug den with a bunch of other fucking losers who were addicts and just alcoholics and like that was my world. 
at that moment, I could never imagine that I would end up where I am today in a state of actual happiness. I just thought my whole world was misery. But you have to be able to imagine the possibility before you can achieve that. Have you ever found yourself in those situations, Colin? Yeah, when I started out, my whole focus was work. Mm -hmm. Like I uh, was going through college, I joined the reserves, part-time job, so I just filled to the tilt, boom, 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 work, 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 work. And then when I partied overcompensated, so when you went out, you didn't just go out for a beer or two, you went out for like 12 hours and disappeared and found yourself in a ditch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that took me up the moon. It took me until like my mid-twenties, late-twenties, to actually learn to step back and find some time for me. Because I started to realize if, for example, the summer was hard because that's when you stood down for summer leave, uh, uh, classes had finished, a lot of places, you know, apart from touristy places. And when I was growing up, there wasn't much tourism. And when he started, and I became an adult anyway, because yeah. People were afraid to come to my country for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I can't but, imagine why. <laughs> but um, I found myself lost. And I was actually having like a week of being lost of what do I do when I don't have this other stuff that I started learning. I need to do things for me. Mm -hmm. I need to learn this, be clear in my own head sort of thing. So I, I had focused on work. Also, it was actually going against me. You'd think... And this is a lesson I'm still learning right up until even this year. I used to think, just work hard. That's all you need to do. You just work hard and you'll get there. And I find actually that it's the opposite because by being hardworking, you're actually become intimidating to other people. So therefore, your practice of lesser magic becomes <laughs> diminished because, because you're going intensely full to the tilt. Other people don't appreciate that and actually they shy away from you which I didn't realize, you know, that took me many, many, many years mm -hmm. to realize a fundamentalist mistake in my whole life ethos. Huh. And obviously after recent events, I've just had to reevaluate everything. Yeah. So fresh start opportunity, you know, uh, you think, where do I go from here? You have to have a plans change. That's, that's one thing you have to understand that what might be your initial plan. Mm -hmm. With imagination and life experience, that plan will change. It's allowed to. You're not making a mistake by changing or changing who you are or changing what you think about certain things yeah. or having your preconceptions challenged. That's perfectly fine. That's part of growing as a person. Mm -hmm. If you're the same person you were 10 years ago, there's something wrong. If you're the same yeah. person in five years' time as you are now, there's something wrong. And that can't be measured. You, you can't measure my journey with somebody else's. Right. Yes, there's similarities, you know, certain journeys, but no, everyone has individual, your goal is individual. Mm -hmm. You can look at aspirations and think, yes, that's where I want to be, but that's not going to be the same as somebody else. And I think people forget this. Yeah. And they always look at hyper successful individuals. So they always look at the top, top tier, 1%, you know, they look at that little apex in the triangle yeah. and they forget that there's all the levels low and everyone always sees themselves at the bottom of the triangle and not realizing that there's much worse places you can be. Mm -hmm. So self-honesty, you know, it's a hard thing. Yeah. And more and more people, especially in this 
fucking god awful culture we're living right now has become less and less. More people are brainwashed. They're not thinking. They're herd conformists. They just they want to be told what to think, and that is the nature of the herd anyway. You know, we know yeah, that the whole influencer social culture is predicated around herd behavior and herd think. Like it, there wouldn't be social media influencers if there weren't massive amounts of people wanting to be them and looking up to them and and holding them up aloft. And they haven't actually achieved anything in nearly every case. They've just no, it's just a gleaned a bunch of people to follow them. It's weird. Yeah, but that's um, and to me that goes completely against Satanism. Yeah. It's, oh, for sure. And yet we're seeing more and more people. That's what they want to be. Mm-hmm. They want to be the drone. They're happy. They just want the shiny light to look towards and follow. Yeah. And they're not looking at themselves. And. They're not happy. These people are not happy. Because, especially you mentioned about people being misanthropic. I'm a misanthrope. I have low tolerance, even lower tolerance now for people. But I am still a social animal. My friends and their small circle mean the world to me. You guys mean the world to me. And you know who you are. You know, through everything. And you know who your real friends are. You hold on to that. That is the most beautiful thing in the world. Yeah. And you can't, if you deny that you need people for a start mm-hmm. or enjoy other people's company, you're not going to experience that. Yeah. And once again, I think it's this whole herd conformity of this is what I think I must say to look edgy and cool online. So I must say I hate people, yet I must post every day to as many people as possible. <laughs> I, I hate people. <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah. bit of a contradiction there. <laughs> is there something's not adding up? Mm-hmm. You know, well, it's like the asexual that talks about sex all the time. It's like, yeah, mm, <laughs> something's not right with your message. Um, so let's 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 review this idea of making a list of things you want to accomplish, and and ultimately we need to be reviewing our life up until the moment that you begin this reflection, and look for a passion. Look for something that comes naturally to you, because that's going to be a cue to what you can try to achieve professionally as a future plan, right? And one thing that you need to, and I know it's difficult in in our current culture, you need to realize that belongings are not what is important. Um, Things are are just sort of sidelines, right? Mm -hmm. If you find a sense of happiness in what you're doing, things will come to you. You, your goal shouldn't be to buy this specific type of car or have this specific device. Those are things that will ultimately come when you realize actual success, actual goals, right? Financial independence, uh, mm-hmm. starting your own bakery, you know, whatever those plans that you're making are, everything else is going to come with it. So, so we need to start thinking in terms of experience and out less in terms of objects when you when you're planning for your future right and we yeah, also have to keep your memories yeah um we must understand that unrealistic That's goals totally. are not helpful like you can't you can't you can't reach for the sun knowing that it is not possible and constantly working for something that's not possible and the only way that you're going to know if something's realistic or not is to know yourself Right, and that's where that introspection is incredibly important, and honesty 
is incredibly important. I know it's difficult, but it's really, really integral. Uh, what were you saying? I'm sorry. No, um, things just trigger memories. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're a tool. Uh, it's nice to have stuff. You know what I mean? It's just, and if you can have stuff that means something to you that you've gathered up over time, mm -hmm. you're better having 10 items that mean something to you than just going out cookie cutter, spending thousands of pounds, dollars, yen, whatever you, your currency is. Yeah. Um, and just ban everything wholesale from a large distributor. It means nothing. Mm. Um, if you can, if you're collecting items and you can tie it to a life experience, then you're doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're actually living. It has real value. Yeah. It has real value to you. This whole thing, like, I think I've talked about this before a few times, but having the latest S thing or I thing, mm -hmm. I mean, you know what I mean? It's just a tool. Yeah. What you do with it, you know, like this whole, we were talking about this just before we started the show, this whole podcasting thing. Yeah. It's the most, all the shit you have to do in the background <laughs> to sit here and have a conversation and stream out. Yeah. Is ball breaking. It's a pain in the ass. <laughs> it's absolutely fucking tweak this, tweak that. But if that's your passion to actually, in, in the end, achieve your aim of doing that. Mm hmm that's it you know and then by getting a bit of success uh should it be affiliate marketing or monetizing your podcast or selling something mm -hmm. and that brings you in that you can buy a better item right it's not the item you know what i mean if you have the money and just bought the item that means nothing in itself but by becoming more successful at your craft your passion your hobby and should it take you three years to buy that new microphone right that new microphone will mean much more to you because of the journey yeah. that you went on to get to it. If that's making sense. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. So Absolutely. the journey, how you get the item, it doesn't matter. And there'll always be the Joneses. Yeah. Uh, you have that phrase over there as well. Keep it up yep. with the Joneses. Yep. Yep. There will always be the Joneses. There's always somebody that will have more, but there's always people that have less. Yeah. So beating yourself up, and that's the difference between, you've talked about it before, about this uncomfortable, feeling uncomfortable, you haven't achieved enough, and that's mm -hmm. what drives you, but you can't turn that into a stick to beat yourself with. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't do, oh, I'm hopeless, I'm this. That's negativity. You have to, you have to, yes, you aim for something, but you have to recognize, you have to stop and smell the roses and recognize where you are, what you've achieved. Mm -hmm. If you don't do that, what is the point? Yeah. You're just, you're just another mindless drone trying to get shares, likes and follows and gather stuff for absolutely no reason at all, but for the ratification of somebody else, because yeah. in the end it won't please you. It's, it's and for a fleeting moment, because this stuff is temporary, mm -hmm. these likes and thoughts and, you know, uh, uh, well, accolades, that's the word, sorry, accolades of strangers yeah. is temporary. And you have to keep always ramping it up and ramping it up and eventually you burn out. It's just not, it's not yeah. sustainable. And that's why I've seen so many people now miserable. They're, this whole online culture, we've seen it. Yeah. Um, we've now seen it over close to 20 years. Um, we're seeing the damaging effects of this superficial, non-carnal uh, construct that people mm. have plugged themselves into willingly and have no self-introspection, no self-thought. They wait for the latest whoever 
the post whatever that it mostly resonates with them whatever camp they join and they're waiting to be told what to think what to share they don't put the brakes on they don't think for themselves and these they're unhappy they're unhealthy should they can't even take photographs of themselves yeah. they have to put filters on yeah do you know I mean how many if you scroll down social media and I have to do it to promote podcasts. You have to do it for your job, so it's not like by choice. Mm. But you, it just takes a quick scroll down to see the patterns of filtered pictures. People are not happy with themselves. Mm-hmm. They have to put a mask on. That's telling. You know, that is it should be. telling. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be, but because people no, keep look, doing it. If you can't, if you can't stand, look, flipping grey hairs, I've got wrinkles, I've flipping man boobs. I don't, you know, I mean, it's me. Yeah. But if you can't be happy with that and be comfortable enough to put yourself out there, fucking what, what, what good? How are you going to achieve anything in life? Yeah. Um, I like what Jeff is saying in the chat room. He said, uh, forcing yourself to do a minimalist cleanse will definitely show you what physical things you actually need. I actually like that idea. I've never actually done it myself, but it is something that I've thought about. Um, and, uh, that would be an interesting challenge um, to, to try to realize and, and see what you really do need in order to survive and in order to achieve goals that you set forward. Um, I do want to say here on, you know, moving forward with this conversation, uh, envisioning your life going your way. And, and that's really to say positive thinking is actually really important. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't be realistic because you're going to fail, but you learn from that. You learn from your failures. So it's not a bad thing, but... <laughs> Some some of us <laughs> some of us fail fucking spectacularly. <laughs> Just uh, some of us fucking fail big time. Yeah, but and... it's important though because as when you do fail, it's an opportunity to learn and to grow, and and that's what's important. And then of course, envisioning your life going your own way means that you can't just imagine it. You have to take an active role in your own life, right? As Satanists, we have lesser magic. We have a toolbox that can allow you to actually make life go your way. So start doing, you know, it's it's like uh, um, whenever we think in terms of greater magic as Satanists, we shouldn't be thinking of once we're out of the ritual chamber, it's done. You have to then enact, right? The, the ritual chamber is supposed to be um, this... Uh, moment of psychodrama to help you get past whatever's holding you back but then there's real world action that needs to be taken that is what you're supposed to be doing once you envision your life going your own way you have to then take action in order to see it done Um, and then understand that the big priorities need to be taken first all right think of if if you want to be a doctor well before you can become a doctor you have to go through schooling so your biggest priority is finishing school not buying the house that you want to buy once you are a doctor. So focus on what needs to be done first. Think of it in terms of steps towards success. Get those big, most immediate and important steps taken care of so that you can then realize the big house once you actually are a doctor after your schooling, for example. I actually went through this process last week, funnily enough. Yeah, because I've had to re-envisage career choices, life, everything I'm essentially something from scratch. So I actually had a conversation with a careers advisor. Um, that's one thing I love about the UK is there's so much out there. If you're even struggling at life at any age, there's help, you know, these uh, National Career Service, for example. If you're, you feel like you're going 
the wrong direction. You go, you take this full assessment. And I'm talking about your three hours of answering questions <laughs> across the whole spectrum. And then I sat there, uh, telephone, because obviously COVID, but had a telephone interview that lasted nearly two hours with oh. an advisor of, where do you want to go here? Okay, what's... And there's always been a stumbling block with me in terms of my career. I'm a highly skilled individual, yet I'm not getting the payoff that I should be, and it's become a frustration. Mm. So I've had to look at that because if you're not happy and frustrated, then you leave yourself vulnerable for psychic vampires, and nobody oh, yeah. wants that. Yeah. So you need to, by not having that self-introspection or not understanding where the bet is going wrong, so you have to break it down. Um, I thought it was my mathematical skills, but actually it's turned out it's not. I'm actually quite skilled in mathematics after taking a number of assessments. Mm -hmm. But the big thing is actually I'm now starting to learn a new programming language because technology's changed. Unfortunately, the environments I've been in haven't moved forward with the times. And I've always been the one constantly, you know, pushing, trying to open the door while somebody else has got their shoulder against it because they're afraid of change. Yeah. So I thought I was being innovative and I thought I was an agent for change, but because of the environments I was in, yes, it might have been, but also personally, I fell back. So now I have to learn this new programming language to keep up with the new technology. So really, realistically, if I want to move ahead, this is what I need to do. I need to open the books, click on the website. No, I need to study, I need to achieve. Mm -hmm. When I achieve that, I can then, there's a hurdle gone. That's been, after, and that took six hours Wow. You know what I mean? It's been a lot of thought, but actually six hours of actual knuckle-down work of going through assessments and questionnaires and conversations mm -hmm. to get me to the point of, oh, I need to learn Python. Yeah. You know, and that, that's just a simple one thing, but that one simple statement, I need to learn Python, has turned into, okay, now I need to do a course, now I need to start learning. When I achieve that, there you go, there's a hurdle gone, and then I can once again start going towards real-world success. Yeah. But it's not going to happen in five minutes. Yeah, you have to be willing to put this, in the time. This is a year down the line, so I have mm -hmm. to understand that I will not achieve or be able to move forward again truly to where I want yeah. for a year as long as I keep working. Mm -hmm. If I don't keep working, it's going to be longer than a year or not, never. Do you know, that's yeah. that's a balance and the payoff of self-understanding where you want to go, what's getting in your way, and how can you fix that? Yeah. Um. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a reality. So the, sort of closing out this conversation, um, we all need money. We live in a world where you need money. If for nothing else, sometimes it's just for electricity and for water. Um, and, you know, some people are able to live off the grid, but that's not the case for the majority of people. And so it's really, really important. And I know you don't want to do it, but you have to open a savings account and put away a significant portion of your paycheck, you know, somewhere around 25% sometimes into savings. But that's not all. That's your oh shit account, right? Your real future lies in your retirement planning. You have to set up a retirement fund. Now there's tons of ways to do this. I've done an entire show about this, so I'm not going to go into it in detail. But if you have a savings account and you have a retirement account, portions of every single monthly uh, income is going into those. The earlier you start, the more massive a nest egg you're going to end up with. The later you start, the less significant nest egg you're going to have. That's why it's so important because interest compounds upon the principal. 
and you get these massive returns in the future. So you always have to think about that moving forward. Um, that's going to allow you freedom to explore opportunities, to take risks that you might not otherwise do. Um, so always keep that in mind. But then also there's the support networks that we all find ourselves in need of, right? Surrounding yourself with people who want to help is really important. Being willing to ask for help is really hard, but it's really <laughs> important. Counterproductive pride does nothing for anyone. So if you need help, be humble enough to ask for help. And you can, if you have real friends or real support groups, you will find that help. Um, being, feeling proud of what you're good at and trusting your instincts is really important here too. There's mm -hmm. a fundamental difference between getting that point of asking for help and being a mooch. Yeah, yeah, it's and huge. If you have real friends, they will know the difference. Mm -hmm. There's nobody likes that person who always takes and doesn't give back. Yep. And it's actually it's insulting to people that you make friends with because then it's are you just making friends with these people because they're a commodity and that mm -hmm. that always shines through. Oh, Maybe yeah. not in the short term and. You see it online as well. You see these people are absolute leeches and they get away with it and they get away with it and they get away with it. And then the, the build up a following like we were talking about earlier and yeah. they end up with this buffer. And then if anybody challenges them, uh, they send their minions after you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, and people are waiting for that call as well. That's that's all part of this whole herd conformist. They look for out somebody that they latch on to. So it's almost uh, mutual vampirism. Mm. I, I don't know quite how to put it, but there's people, even within Satanism, they're looking for that person and then they're waiting for the attack signal. They want to be told to go and have a go at somebody else. Yeah. I think um, that series, Handmaid's Tale, is a good example. What's the series? The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, okay. I haven't actually seen it. that one. Got, right, the, the girls are all oppressed, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And then they get in a circle and somebody was convicted of a crime. It was a man. I think they killed a baby or something but basically they got caught up in a circle all the girls who you know the slaves basically beat this guy to death oh shit and that was you know that was their chance it was actually controlled because the people that are controlling them sent them after this person so that they feel better mm -hmm. so they're not acknowledging their own lives and their own situation but by lashing out against someone else then they get that catharsis and then they feel better about themselves and then they can get the live in that bubble again and forget Mm. that they're actually no control over their life. Yeah. So you see this, where am I going with this? Hold on, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those in a vacuum that have no control, if they get a little bit of control by being told to do something, that gives them a, a minute sense of importance. Yeah, and, they're, and they're still being controlled, but because they get the lash out of someone else, then that it gets, they get the mask out feeling. Yeah. But if you mask out feeling, you can't be successful. Mm-hmm. And the mm. conversation, if you're generally not honest with yourself, that first conversation is going to be a hard one. Yeah. There's no, it's yeah. important, but it's not going to be pleasant. Nope. You're going All to right. make it yourself small. Yeah. <laughs> well, let, let's stop the conversation there. We're like three fourths through the show. So we're going to have to burn through these articles. Um, let's move on to the <laughs> infernal informant.
All right, let me throw up the image and we will dive into this first article. Women are from Venus. All right, so let me burn through reading the article and then we can discuss it here. Uh, experts explain if there is life on Venus, how could it have gotten there? The recent discovery of phosphine in the atmosphere of Venus is exciting as it may serve as a potential sign of life among other possible explanations. Researchers who published their findings in Nature Astronomy couldn't really explain how the phosphine got there. They explored all conceivable possibilities, including, including lightning, volcanoes, and even delivery by meteorites, but each source they modeled couldn't produce the amount of phosphine detected. Most phosphine in Earth's atmosphere is produced by living microbes. So the possibility of life on Venus producing phosphorus can't be ignored. But the researchers, led by UK astronomer Jane Greaves, say their discovery is not robust evidence for life on Venus. Rather, it's evidence of anomalous and unexplained chemistry, of which biological processes are just one possible origin. If life were to exist on Venus, how could it have come about? Exploring the origins of life on Earth may shed some light. Understanding how life formed on Earth not only helps our understanding of our origins, but could also provide insight on the key ingredients needed for life as we know it to form. The details around the origins of life on Earth are still shrouded in mystery, with multiple competing scientific theories, but most theories include a common set of environmental conditions considered vital for life, and these are liquid water, mild temperatures, a process to concentrate mo molecules, a complex natural environment, and trace metals. Now, the possibility of life as we know it forming on the surface of present-day Venus is incredibly low. An average surface temperature of above 400 degrees Celsius means the surface can't possibly have liquid water, and this heat would also destroy most organic molecules. Venus's mild upper atmosphere, however, has temperatures low enough for water droplets to form, and thus could potentially be suitable to the formation of life. That said, the environment has its own limitations, such as clouds of sulfuric acid, which would destroy any organic molecules not protected by a cell. For example, on Earth, molecules such as DNA are rapidly destroyed by acidic conditions, although some bacteria can survive extreme acidic environments. Although the constant falling of water droplets from Venus's atmosphere down to its extremely hot surface would destroy any unprotected organic molecules in the droplets. Beyond this, with no surfaces of mineral grains in the Venusian atmosphere, on which organic molecules could, molecules could concentrate, any chemical building blocks of a life would be scattered through a diluted atmosphere, making it incredibly difficult for life to form. Bearing all this in mind, if atmospheric phosphine is indeed a sign of life on Venus, then there are three main explanations for how it could have formed. One, life may have formed on the planet's surface when its conditions were different to now. Modeling suggests the surface of early Venus was very similar to early Earth, with lakes or even oceans of water and mild conditions. This was before a runaway greenhouse effect turned the planet into the hellscape that it is today. Another possibility is that life in Venus's atmosphere, if there is any, came from Earth. The planets in our solar system have been documented to exchange material in the past. When meteorites crash into a planet, they can send the planet's rocks hurtling into space where they occasionally intersect with the orbits of other planets. And the third possibility is to consider that a truly alien form of life, life that we don't know about, could have formed on Venus's 400 degrees Celsius surface and survives there to this day. Such a foreign life probably wouldn't be carbon-based, as nearly all complex carbon molecules break down at extreme temperatures. Although carbon life-based produces phosphine on Earth, it's impossible to say only carbon-based life can produce phosphine. Therefore, even if totally alien life exists on Venus, it may produce molecules that are still recognizable as a potential sign of life. 
It's only through further missions and research that we can find out answers. And luckily, there are two of the four final pro finalist proposals for NASA's next round of funding for planetary explorations are focused on Venus. These include Veritas and Da Vinci Plus. All right, so I wanted to bring this up. This is an article from scientechdaily.com because I love the idea of being faced with the reality that we don't have all the answers. I love the what ifs, the, the dreaming of possibilities. Does stuff like this excite you? The thing that gets me is that science change. When we look back at the times of Newton and Pasteur, they were trailblazers and they went against the establishment who were religionists, who, you know, this can't be done. And they were the dreamers and thought, yes, and then came up with the answers. Nowadays you see scientists and they're actually the establishment, the religion, this can't possibly happen. Yeah. That's I started off my my original trajectory was science. I was gonna go into forensic science and uh, uh, enjoyed the bar more than studying. And that's how I ended up going to administration slash databases. So, <laughs> but from an early age, I loved there was Quest series of used to buy every magazine every two weeks, uh, Santa Santa Weekly. I used to love that stuff because it was yeah. <laughs> innovators, trailblazers, and it was always a question: what if? And now you've got these other arseholes going, no, 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 can't. can't. It's like carbon-based life isn't. It's just the template we know and recognize, mm -hmm. and can equate to our solar system. We haven't even left the moon. I mean, we haven't even set up bases on the moon. We haven't even got as far properly as the moon. We have landed on it once, which people are now even disagreeing whether that happened or not. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like 50 years ago. <laughs> yeah, but 50 years ago, landed on the moon, never went any further. We have become stagnant. And, this, and it's imagination that's going to ask these questions and maybe find out, yes, we do not know, and that is perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. There's, um, like Venus, there's a thing called, they're talking about organisms not being able to live. Well, on this planet, we have spiders that live in volcanic mudflats. Yeah. At temperatures higher, 100 degrees C's, boiling uh, point of water, so whatever that is in Fahrenheit. But we have creatures that live there. We also have them that live in the Arctic tundra that actually, if you put them on your hand, the heat of your hand would kill them because they're, they're used that uh, environment. It's called Sheldon's Law of Tolerance. Right. If you want to look that up, but every organization, organism, see, I cannot speak. I've been talking okay. to you yesterday. But every organism has a tolerance. Should it be temperature, humidity, acidity? All of us have uh, a limit the world can reach and always perform better towards the higher limit than the lower. So for example, hyperthermia as opposed to heat stroke, right. we become more sluggish as we hit the lower end of whatever spectrum it is, but we perform better in warm climates. We all know that, yet heat stroke can kill us like that. Yep. So the upper end is uh, a sharper apex, but we can tolerate it more and perform better until we get wiped out. But we don't even understand this planet that we're on. Yeah. We do not even, we haven't even trolled the oceans properly. Mm -hmm. We haven't understood ecosystems properly. We haven't under, and this whole madness at the moment of climate change versus climate denial, two extremes of madness mm -hmm. and no actual sensible discussion. We don't understand our own planet. How the hell can we even begin to imagine that what's going on out there, what possibly can happen or what can't. Yeah. 
a good fight. Um, Star Trek that a great episode. Um, what was it? The creature in the tunnel? No, the original series. And yeah. it was the first time they talked about silicon-based life form. It wasn't called a Shrike. It was. It looked like a rock. Do you remember it? And it yeah. went through tunnels. No. And people were mining and they killed it, and then it went and destroyed the colony. And then oh, they finally learned. They finally learned that it was because they were destroying their home. And then they actually trained the. They managed to communicate. It was Spock communicated with one by mailing And then actually the end of training thing to make the tunnels go on so they stay away from their home mm-hmm. and that was you know back then you had series like star trek you know imagining and talking about well carbon based life form isn't just it there could be silicon based life form that's always been a theory arthur c clark and his series talked about uh you know the whole odyssey the four books i'm not familiar all right well the odyssey series space 2001 oh yeah 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 I'm 2000 sure. yes 2031, 2060. I've <laughs> only seen the film, so I, I wasn't... All right, yeah. well, the books uh, the books go deeper into it, but Aurora, sorry, Europa. Europa. Uh, it's basically all planets are yours, except Europa, do not go there. Um, when, of course, humans being humans, eventually they go there, and it's the life there is completely alien, you know, in every respect, mm-hmm. because the conditions do not, you know, in, Carbon-based life wouldn't survive for yeah. half a second, but that doesn't mean because we don't know doesn't mean it's not there. Yeah, it's the same as saying um, there's no aliens. How do we know? Yeah, that could be at the same level of development or less than us, so we can't even get past our first moon. Mm-hmm. So how the hell do we know? Yeah, and the only things long range. Sure, even how many uh, Beagle One, Beagle Two, even send the probes to Mars. How many? cock-ups happened mm-hmm. where the things crashed you know what i mean the, the yeah. three bagel rover as well rover one uh the two you know the british one and the american one mm-hmm. you know i mean the first couple of attempts crashed so they haven't even been able to bring back soil samples yeah. so it's only from digital data which is limited yeah so we cannot say so how can you say yes or no we, we just don't have the answer that's why I love I articles got... like this, is that yeah. it it, pu- it forces us. It puts it right in our face saying, you don't have the answers. Let's imagine, hypothesize, and see if we can find out. But you've even got that article you're reading, the scientists go, no, 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 no. And it's like, come on. <laughs> Straight away, this, um, and that's why I'm saddened at the state of science today. Yeah. Uh, obviously, in the next article, we'll talk about innovation, but science has become stagnated because it's got filled with the herd. Yeah. and the establishment and it's become a social club as opposed to actual mechanism for improving our lives yeah and i mean i think we, it's direct i was just talking with um simony last night uh, you know in part of that conversation brought up academia and how even academia is stagnant because there's only so many spots available for people to fill in academia and there's thousands of applicants and so those who are really willing to push boundaries or to reimagine established dictums don't actually get an opportunity because there just aren't enough spots for them it's got to be the same with scientific circles yeah it's once again it's the apex but what's happened is these people at the top have cut off all levels below Mm -hmm. so you have to be either at the top in the club or you're nothing Mm-hmm. It's really horrible. It's actually, it is quite, it could be quite depressing. Yeah. And I think we're starting to see people are getting really pissed off. And that's why you're starting to see a bit of a lashback. And yeah, at the moment, it's going through the prism of politics, but it's so much deeper. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, and this is a longer, this is a thing that's been going on for 40 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's weird because it's we advance a- so fast in certain aspects, you know, computing, but then we don't actually use that for anything but like porn and video games. <laughs> yeah, and it's, um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. If you, if you want to look at the leaps and strides in uh, streaming and podcasting, mm-hmm. you go to a porn site because they have it. They have the whole buffer and shit sorted yeah. out. They have, <laughs> they have it all down pat. So actually, they are the leaders. Yeah. But it's you know what I mean their products like disposable. It's yeah. two pumps and you're done sort of thing. You know. It's, <laughs> after that. All right. Well, let's but, let's get into innovation here in a second with this second article. Let me throw up the image and uh, then we'll talk about it. So this second article is coming from The Verge. Um, I actually watched the the online battery day video which was very interesting here are tesla's biggest announcements from battery day the socially distanced outdoor event had musk and other presenters addressing tesla shareholders in parked cars who honked their horns to indicate their approval of the speaker's remarks almost like a drive-in movie shareholder meeting here are the main takeaways from tesla's 2020 battery day tesla plans to manufacture its own tabless batteries which will improve its vehicle's range and power the new batteries will be produced in-house with musk says will reduce costs and bring the sale price of tesla electric cars closer to gasoline powered cars it's expected to lower tesla's cost per kilowatt hour a key metric used to measure electronic vehicles battery packs the tabless cells tesla is removing the tab that connects the cell and what it's powering which tesla is calling the 4680 cells will make its batteries six times more powerful and increase the range by 16% for their vehicles. Musk has been teasing the played powertrain for a while, which will be a step above its ludicrous model. It will have a range between charges of 520 miles, get from zero to 60 miles per hour in under two seconds, and have a top speed of 200 miles per hour. The price is listed on Tesla's website at $139,990. Musk has noted in the past that the played trim level would cost more than our current offerings, which it does. It will be available in the Model S in late 2021. Musk said Tesla will build new cathode plant for its batteries in North America, part of its quest to reduce supply chain costs and simplify cathode production. It also makes improvements to its process that will make cathodes 76% cheaper and produce zero wastewater. The company also plans to diversify the cathodes it uses because of low nickel supplies. Tesla plans to eliminate the use of cobalt in its cathodes. Musk has said he wanted to eliminate it entirely in the past, even though Tesla's existing batteries use very little. Cobalt is often mined under conditions that violate human rights, which has led to a push to find other materials to replace it. Musk didn't offer a timeline for when the company will stop using cobalt, but said it will make its batteries significantly cheaper. Quote, it's absolutely critical that we make cars that people can actually afford, he said. Affordability is key to how we scale. Tesla plans to reduce the cost of battery cells and packs with an end goal of building a $25,000 electric car. Tesla will hit this goal using its new tabless batteries and change the materials inside the cell, which he said should allow Tesla to half the price per kilowatt hour, Musk says. This is amazing because what Tesla is doing is completely re-envisioning how batteries are created and how they should operate. Something that hasn't been done for so long since the invention, literally since the invention of batteries. 
we haven't made any progress. And now one company is actually doing that. This is what you're talking about when you're talking about innovation and rethinking old established models. Uh, because ultimately what this is going to mean, and, and this is why I actually, I'm such a champion of Tesla, is because their goal is not to be the dominating car manufacturer. Their goal is to convert the world to electric. And that's just so that the world can continue to exist. That's the mission statement. Yeah, this is somebody with a vision. Yeah. And it's very, um, there's only two innovators, in my opinion now, and that's Musk and Dyson. Are the only two, like, true innovators. Yeah. Steve Jobs, I was never a fan of. He did too much on other people's backs and just dressed up in pretty packaging. Yeah. But actual people that believe in their product, um, yeah, and this is how we're going to reach the stars. Yep. Because that's what's holding us back as power. Um, once again, this whole... It's even down that he's understanding. Necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. And we're going to see this whole COVID thing. Mm -hmm. We're actually going to see, hopefully, a leap forward in remote working. When people see the benefits of it, they're not going to want to go back. You know what I mean? That Pandora's mm -hmm. box has been open. It's something I've been a proponent for for many years. We don't need to go and sit in an office together to be productive. Yeah. In fact, it's distracting because you're wasting an hour a day commuting, sometimes more. Yeah. Uh, all the other guff that's non-productive and the stress. All the bullshitting back between people and Yep, and the friggin' politics and all that. You know, I mean yeah. that's that's Not actually politics. You're actually more chance of being more productive and invested if you're left alone mm -hmm. and trusted. But necessity, now the COVID has brought that necessity and we're gonna see leaps and bounds and people aren't gonna go back. He's now saying that because of the lack of nickel and because of the way things are mine, he's not happy with, he's mm -hmm. actually putting the problem forward. Also, he wants his car to be affordable. He knows that if he has the propriety of the business model and the technology, yes, people will copy it. But when he gets there for that first year, he can write his own checkbook. Yeah. It's legacy. You know, I think he's somebody that understands legacy. And as I was saying before, a lot of these large companies now and the CEOs, they're robots that don't even, a lot of the CEOs don't even, having started the company they're in, they yeah. get shuffled around. Yeah. Himself and Dyson are the last two people who actually went, I would say Bill Gates, but he's obviously moved on to more altruistic uh, terms. But in my lifetime, you know, it's very, very small number of people and it's becoming less and less. So when people like him are doing this, you can only applaud him. Yeah. And this is how, if we solve the need for energy, because that's something that the I thing and the S thing never, the devices get more powerful, but the batteries haven't. Yep. And they've actually just got larger and larger, not because of the necessity, but because they need a larger battery pack because of the processes. Mm -hmm. Wasn't it Peter um, in the Satanic Scriptures talked about how the computers have become more and more bloated? I don't remember that. The whole it? Apple thing? Yeah. The, I mean, the, he... Like, everything's become more and more bloated, not more innovative. Right. And this has been a, you know I mean, this has been a knock-on effect. Things that people have written 20, 60 years ago we're seeing now happening yep. in our lifetime. It's it's really amazing. Yeah. And like I said, it's all about, as we talked about at the start of this episode, you can get depressed, you can get miserable, or you can look for the glimmers of hope mm -hmm. like this. And I think this is a glimmer of hope, not just for having a battery, but the whole knock-on effect. 
because if he can make a battery that powerful that can power a car, you yep. can scale that down, you can scale it up. Yep. A thing yep. I'm excited to see is you can get now roof tiles that are solar powered. Mm-hmm. So they're not ceramic, they're made of a different material. Yeah. But rather than have these huge panels on your roof that not only are ugly, but they're fragile and hard to maintain, they're actually developing them like roof panels. Yeah, Tesla did those. <laughs> there you go. Imagine the roof of your car being a solar panel. Yeah. It's pretty just powering it as it goes. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the future. Even if it can't do it fully, um, like the hybrid cars, you know, they might run out of juice, but you've got a backup. Yeah. Uh, trickle, you know what I mean? Trickle power in your car as it goes along. Mm-hmm. Where do you stop? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's one aspect cars, but houses, developing world, we keep talking about the developing world and bringing them up to speed. There's a technology can happen. Yeah. Uh, I think we talked about this before. Kenya have taken this technology, they've uh, deconstructed it, and they're making hydroponic farms in ISO containers in the oh, middle shit. of Johannesburg. So, shipping containers. They're stacking those up and they're actually making hydroponic farms using solar technology that they've wow. jury rigged. That's crazy. From water. But these these guys are the future. Mm-hmm. I see in a hundred years. The Kenyans, you know what I mean? They they uh, if their princes stop giving away all their money online. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> <laughs> hey, they gotta make a buck too. Yeah, but if they stop giving away all their money online and use it in house. Right, right. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But we're seeing innovation. That can only be encouraged. Mm-hmm. The problem is that we are focusing on all the wrong things right now. Yep. I agree. We are focusing on social constructs and beating the other side around the head of a brick, whatever herd gang, and they're both herd gangs. Yeah. We're more concentrating on being part of a herd and attacking the other weaker herd or taking an opportunity than actually looking at this stuff and looking at the future as solutions. Mm-hmm. And I am, for one, I'm excited. I love this stuff. You know, yeah. this was what started my journey into information and science and where I am today, you know, as a person. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for these articles, uh, before mobile phones came out, we were talk- they were talking about, they had little cartoons into the future. And they're talking about these little handsets, which are now earbuds, you know, yeah. the AirPods. Yeah. You know, but you could only use them next to, they still had the idea of the phone booth. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the only way you could use these things wirelessly. But that's progressed. That's your Wi-Fi router. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So what was imagined forty odd years ago is now reality and even surpassed. Yeah. I keep referring to Star Trek because that series when it first came oh, out blew my mind. Yeah, it did a great job of, of imagining possibilities. Even uh, even when Deep Space Nine came out and everyone was carrying tablets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody knew. Back then, it was science fiction, but nobody knew back then that that was the future. And that's what they concentrated on. The actually showing and showcasing technology. You read any sci-fi novel, and they concentrate less on the politics. Yes, it's part of the drama and the story. Yeah. But you read, um, I've been reading David Weber a lot recently, mm-hmm. recently, and 40% of his book is talking about the hyperdrives and how the hyperdrive works and the problems. Oh, you wow. know. He's imagining technology, and it's that imagination which triggers the likes of Elon Musk to do what he does. Yep. I mean, if that imagination wasn't about, or that ability, you, you can't learn that baby in a drone. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, well, let's, we've already passed our hour. We got one more oh. segment to go. So, uh, yeah, if, if you want something to be positive about, 
look to innovation and science fiction and uh it's it's there it's out there which is exciting Us. you know not everything is decades <laughs> <laughs> all right let's let's close this out with uh, creature feature As I just said, my favourite scene in that whole movie. Um, that was interesting when they talk about the psychology of a fly. Yeah, it's basically a raven psychopath. I say, huh? I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw up a bunch of images. We're gonna talk. This is an in memoriam, um, and I'm just gonna let these scroll in the background. Uh, yeah, they're ten second intervals. All right. So this is an in memorial for Ronald Ray Cobb. He was born September 21, 1937, and he died September 21st, 2020. He was an American-Australian cartoonist, artist, and film designer. By the age of 18, with no formal training in graphic illustration, he was working as an animation in-betweener artist for Disney Studios in Burbank, California. He progressed to become a breakdown artist on the animation feature Sleeping Beauty in 1959. He was drafted in the U.S. Army in 1960 and was sent to Vietnam in 63 as a draftsman for the Signal Corps. He began to contribute to Los Angeles Free Press in 65. His editorial political cartoons were a celebrated feature of the Freep and appeared regularly throughout member newspapers of the Underground Press Syndicate. Cobb designed the cover for Jefferson Airplane's 1967 album After Bathing at Baxter's. In 72, he moved to Sydney, Australia, where his work appeared in alternative magazines such as The Digger. He returned to cinema work when he worked with Dan O'Bannon to design the eponymous spaceship for the 1973 cult film Dark Star. After contributing designs for Alejandro Judorsky's uncompleted film adaptation of Frank Herbert's novel Dune, Cobb was engaged by Lucasfilm to produce conceptual artwork for the space fantasy film Star Wars in 1977. He worked alongside artists John Molo and Ralph McQuarrie, has created his designs for a number of exotic alien creatures for the Mos Eisley Cantina scene. In 81, Color Vision, a large format full color monograph, appeared, including much of his design work for films of Star Wars Alien in 1979, Conan the Barbarian in 82, his first feature for which he received the credit of production designer. Cobb also contributed production design to the film The Last Starfighter, Leviathan, Total Recall, and uh, True Lies, The Sixth Day, Cats and Dogs, Southland Tales, and the Australian feature Garbo, which he directed. He contributed to initial story for Night Skies, an earlier darker version of E.T. Steven Spielberg offered him the opportunity to direct the scarier sequel to Close Encounters of the Third Kind until problems arose over special effects that required a major rewrite. While Cobb was in Spain working on Conan the Barbarian, Spielberg supervised the rewrite into the more personal E.T. and expanded, uh, ended up directing it himself. Cobb later received some net profit participation. In 85, he received credit as DeLorean time travel consultant for the film Back to the Future. During the early 1990s, he worked with Rocket Science Games. His designs became most notable in Lodestar, the space bar, in which he designed all the characters. He also co-wrote with his wife Robin Love 
uh, one of the Twilight Zone episodes. He died on his 83rd birthday, September 21st, 2020, from complications of Lewy body dementia. The reason why I bring out people like Ronald Ray Cobb, or I did a feature on Ralph McQuarrie in the past as well, is because artists and creators like these gentlemen who have inspired films and been integral pieces to films and books and music um, and uh, newspaper editorials are the very central cores of what inspire us future generations that reflect fondly on these films. They are, they are the match that ignites the inspiration for future generations these artists and concept designers. And I don't think they get enough attention. They don't get enough credit for what they do. But Star Wars would not have been Star Wars if it weren't for people like Cobb and McQuarrie. It would have been Buck Rogers, which is fine, but it's not, it's not, it's not a media changing, you know? I mean, Star Wars changed everything from the moment that it was released and onward. And to have someone like Cobb, who was not just integral to creature design in Star Wars, but he, he worked with, um, um, oh my gosh, Alien and Aliens. Um, uh, Ridley Scott. Uh, Ridley Scott, but uh, why can't I think of the artist who did the Aliens? Um, oh, Geiger. Geiger, thank you. Geiger. Uh, yeah. He worked with him in order to realize the actual film version that we actually saw. I mean, these collaborators are genuinely amazing in my opinion because isolated and alone they can create very interesting things but when they work together they create culture changing paradigms and that's i think the strength of of artists like ray cobb which i think is important to to remind us of um i mean i know you love some of these films that he worked on right i have seen 90 percent of the films you just mentioned and <laughs> Each one, in its own way, like Conan the Barbarian, yeah. each one is visually stunning and memorable. Mm-hmm. You can't not, like, if anyone else had done Conan the Baron, Barbarian, we would have got Red Sonja again, you know what I mean? It's, there's always, or the generic fantasy. Yeah. Fantasy is a real hard one to bring on screen. Yeah. yeah. Fantasy, to me, I've always liked fantasy books, but fantasy movies is really, really difficult to put out there. I don't know why. It's the same as I find sci-fi hard to read, but it's visually stunning. Mm-hmm. And when you've got someone, like, when we're seeing now the state of movies, like, it's hard to get excited. Yeah. Um, when you don't have the right visuals with a story, it just doesn't work and falls flat. Yeah. And then you just forget it and move on and you get depressed. But these guys... I wouldn't have had even a quarter of the imagination I have today if it wasn't for these guys. You know, I mean, when you looked at something, you went to the cinema, you read a book, or you, you saw drawings, you're like, whoa. You know, I mean, that just, you think of the possibilities. It's like, I didn't think that was doable. Yeah. Uh, Aliens, you know, I mean, it's classed as still one of the forefront and harder movies. That was the thing. Yeah. Uh, it's technically sci fi, but it wasn't. It was a pure horror movie. Mm hmm. And for him to work on it and working with Geiger and just to bring that out, that's something that's always going to be remembered. When you create and put something out there, it's not bad. It can't be bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. And you never know really? who it's going to inspire and what's going to come next from that inspiration. 
Like that's what's so exciting is that it's not just something that you do and it's done, right? It's something that you do, but other people reflect on and then create from it. Like literally something comes from nothing and then someone else takes that something and then creates something brand new again. It's just like giving life to something, you know? It's, it's literally like creation the, in the purest sense of the word. From nothing That's why comes I do something. I do. Yeah. That's why I do what I do, because I love creativity. Yeah. And I love to try and foster creativity. And it's part of it is to say, work on this, go. Yeah. And I think people mistake the, once again, this whole social media likes and shares everyone expects the payoff to be instant yeah yeah but if you create something and put it up there people until right this moment probably won't even know his name god but if you look back you know i mean at the end of his life he has given something to the world yeah and that is something of value you know if you give something that creates imagination yeah people go oh it's only entertainment no mm -hmm. we spend our lives are going to be entertained you know what i mean we yeah we spend a long time in work but at the same time we spend just as much time looking to have our imaginations fired to bring some happiness you know there's nothing wrong with bringing happiness to other people's lives yeah i just don't understand this misery fucking cult of today that seem to don't want that yeah i don't know i don't know I, i'm glad that there were people like cobb and there are a massive amount of creators right now in and outside of film and uh, storytelling in general that are, are just out there in order to create something that excites and inspires others or maybe just terrifies them for a moment. And, and that is worth something. That is something tangibly of value because it speaks to the human experience and not to a fleeting moment in culture because that yeah. is washed away. To provoke an emotional reaction is yeah. valuable, positive. We have to acknowledge all of our emotions. Yeah. The whole range. They're not good, bad. They're just part of you. Yeah. You know I mean, anger, joy, fear, loathing, hate, arousal. You know what I mean? It's all, it's all part of the package. Mm -hmm. And as a carnal being, that's what we are. And by mm -hmm. not and once again, this whole stripping away and just doing everything digitally and not living a carnal lifestyle, you're you're denying something from yourself. Yeah. yeah. I think now though, the mainstream media slash Hollywood slash production, that's not what we're going to say innovation. Mm -hmm. It's on the fringes. It's actually the internet. It's the individual creators. It's and the world doesn't quite catch up with it yet. But that's where the future is. The next person's the YouTube star. You know that. Uh, blows up and goes viral and sometimes it's not after until after a year or two years you know what i mean the next one is whatever the new platform is that's where you're going to find the new innovators the the old hollywood film making the ones in charge of media the big five publishing uh powerhouses in charge of books yeah that's not where you're finding innovation now it's independent creators yeah so the best thing you can do as a person, if you're wanting to help us move along, is find independent creators, uh, support them, help them along if you can, collaborate them with them if you've got some sort of ability, because mm -hmm. that's that's what the future is. Yeah. And eventually, I things go in cycles. Eventually, we'll get through this cycle 
of humanity because we've been through the dark ages, we've been through medieval times, we've been through the Inquisition. Now we're going through this. It'll get a name in 40 years time or something, yeah. what we're going through right now, but we'll get through this. And the people that will stand out will be the likes of the modern day cobs, mm-hmm. you know, who have actually added something, who haven't just lit their burning torch and went running after the next target. You know, it'll be the one that's actually stopped, thought into themselves, thought about a plan and decided what they need to do to make happy, themselves happy. Because yeah. what's also important, this doesn't have to just be your job. You can create and make something as a hobby that gives you catharsis outside what you actually use to earn a living. Right. And that could be more valuable because you get that release and then you're not focusing, you're not putting all your eggs in the one basket. Mm-hmm. And then by getting that catharsis somewhere else, you can not get as frustrated when you do your day to day. And yeah. the more the more people understand that, and the more we can encourage people to do it, the happier I'll be. Because I think that's that's how we're going to get out of this fog and misery, the misery cult that we're all getting subjected to right now. I hope so. I really hope so. I mean, we have all the inspiration we need. We just have to look for it. And so uh, I'm glad that we can uh, highlight people like Cobb in this. But um, yeah, that's going to be it for this episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in and for participating. I'm just like removing all these images. so You're going to see them flashing by here for a second. Um, Thank you, Colin, for joining me live on this episode. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we didn't have any technical issues this time. Yeah, no, it went off perfectly. And... And uh, we had a good conversation, too. So, I mean, it's, it's nothing but a net positive. Uh, for those of you tuning in live or watching this after the fact, thank you so much for your support. Uh, of course, you can always subscribe to the YouTube channel, sign up to the email list, and uh, get notified what I'm going to be talking about and who I'm going to be talking about it with. So, uh, really, I do appreciate everything that you said. And the chat room is just going off. So, thank you guys so much for your interaction and engagement. Um, Colin, do you want to uh, promote anything that you're working on right now? Um, just started a new podcast called the Horrific Podcast. Uh, start off, we've got a weekly segment where we feature authors and aspiring writers. So uh, writers submit, we perform the stories. Um, once a month, just at the first live stream today mm-hmm. uh, with myself and Cameron are working on that. So every month, last Sunday of the month, we're going to come on, talk about uh, horror movies, books, uh, new releases, what's gone before, remakes and just rip a bit um still having a few technical difficulties still trying to figure all this out that's a new yeah. it's a new thing which i'm having to study but it's actually quite interesting mm-hmm. this this whole live streaming thing and getting it set up is there's a learning curve for sure oh yes uh, i'm still working uh, out some kinks so it's it's a process <laughs> but it's good it's yeah. good to learn stuff you know yeah, not, absolutely know. nothing wrong just learn do it and get out there but yeah if you want to check us out uh, probably drop a link in the comments or something yeah okay that'll work perfect then all right well thank you all so much and uh until next week hail satan everyone